welcome to Reimagine Hybrid Work, a Data for Betterment Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Maribel Lopez. I'm the founder of Lopez Research and the nonprofit, the Data for Betterment Foundation. The foundation's mission is to help individuals and companies prepare for the future of work by understanding how technology will change business and careers. If you like this episode, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com for links to follow the show on your favorite app and subscribe to our weekly newsletter for additional show content and articles. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Maribel Lopez and my blog on lopezresearch.com. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez, and I'm joined here today with Tim Rowley. He is the CTO and COO of People Caddy. Tim, welcome to the program. Good morning, Maribel. I'm glad to be here. So, Tim, the company's website describes People Caddy as a digital talent platform, um, a platform that uses technology to quickly find the best contractors for temporary hiring needs. I thought it might be interesting to get started, particularly since we're talking about reimagined work, uh, how you would describe what a digital talent platform is and how does this type of staffing differ from what we've had in the past? Because it seems like everything's a little bit different now than what we've had in the past. It is. And it's uh, an area that's rapidly evolving. You know, when you think about the you know, traditional staffing and recruiting space, uh, you it conjures up images of you know, large networks of physical offices, you know, with people being in those offices, you know, working the phones, you know, all day. You know, a digital digital talent platform like PeopleCaddy, you know, we're using, you know, mobile applications, you know, we're using electronic notifications, you know, we're using websites uh, to connect. You know, the supply of labor, you know, with you know, the employers or the buyers of that labor instead of having, you know, all of those physical offices. And hopefully, you know, by virtue of us being able to do it more efficiently, uh, it, it reduces the amount of friction in the, in the labor market. You know, so employers, you know, can presumably pay less, you know, for the same talent. But also, you know, the person or the employees, the contractors can get a little bit more, you know, because you don't have the party sitting in the middle you know, eating as much of the pie as they were eating before. I think to your point, there is this concept of how do we build a marketplace in the right way so that it is actually affordable and efficient and works for everybody. But I'm kind of curious as to how you got started with people caddy what brought you to the company yeah so i am, am not a, a veteran of the staffing and recruiting industry at all you know i i am a technology entrepreneur and uh, the the founders of, of people caddy when they had this idea um, they didn't know exactly what to to do with it uh, so they reached out to the entrepreneurial center at uh, Northwestern's business school, Kellogg, and they in inquired about uh, them possibly being able to assist them 
and you know taking this idea and, and moving it forward. And uh, the person running the entrepreneurial center at Kellogg now happened to be a colleague of mine. And when he heard what they were attempting to do, uh, he immediately thought of me and uh, connected me you know, to the, uh, the founders that had the original idea. And I have been working with them ever since. So this is interesting because I think it picks up on two things. One, it's the the importance of uh, people and understanding what what people can do. But the second is, you know, you've been accustomed to designing solutions that have to scale. So, for example, at Bank of America, you were the SVP of e-commerce. You helped design a system that allowed B of A to triple its online banking users, taking them from five million to fifteen million online users. And I have to imagine that a hiring platform also needs to have that similar type of scale to support a talent marketplace. But I have to imagine that there were also some interesting challenges. So what were some of the technical challenges you had to overcome to deliver a solution like this? Yeah. Uh, the primary element that you, that you need to start with you know, is, is a very strong you know, value proposition. Right. And then in addition to that, I think you have to have a compelling user experience. Right. You know, and it has to not only be kind of incrementally better, but I think it has to has to be substantially better than what people are currently doing in, in order to compel them, you know, to, to switch. And more so than it being a technology problem you know it is a challenge of human behavior and it's you know mm-hmm. fundamentally understanding you know what they are doing today you know and why and coming up with a plan you know to migrate them to a different set of behaviors but understanding that you know any change in human behavior you know, is going to take you know some time Right. So you have to have essentially a migration plan you know, that gets you from point A to point B, you know, over, you know, again, a longer period of time. But you have to be willing to make the investments along the way, you know, to get there and offer the appropriate incentives. And, you, and you're constantly checking, you know, to see, you know, what's working and what's not working. And you're iterating, you're making improvements each find to you know to ultimately happen upon the perfect solution you know for a particular problem that you're trying to solve. You know, I hadn't actually thought of it that way, particularly as a, a person that tracks technology. We're always talking about like all the technical challenges, but the human challenges are really where a lot of this is at right now. And I love this concept that you were talking about, about understanding the behavior and understanding the incentives. And behavior has changed a lot. Like I remember when we were first moving to mobile and you couldn't really do anything on mobile. And now everybody expects to be able to do everything on mobile. And I'm personally incredibly frustrated when I attempt to do something and it doesn't work as well on mobile as it would on a desktop. I'm like, it's 2022. I mean, really? We haven't gotten that memo yet? So so I I think this change in in behavior is actually really interesting. And I think the thing that you probably brought from some of your previous experiences is that 
not all people are the same and that you're trying to deal with a wide range of people that want to engage in a lot of different ways. And I think that that's super important for trying to build these types of solutions. Yes. And I, w- I would add to that, Maribel, that there's no uh, one size fits all solution. You know, people want to engage with your company in different ways. And you have to try to create this rich, multi-channel experience, you know, where no matter which path they take, you know, that path is enjoyable, predictable, and compelling, right? Because they want the same quality of experience no matter how they choose to engage with your company. But I think a lot of companies, you know, get themselves into trouble when they try to be too heavy-handed and they try to force, you know, all of their customers, you know, to engage and interact in the same way. I think the predictable notion that you just mentioned is really interesting. I used to talk to people about consistency, which is a similar thing. You know, when you went from the web to the phone to the smartphone, you didn't want the data to all be different and what you could do to all be different. And I think that we're still in that phase now. And the other thing I think is interesting is that there's a lot of consumer technology that is driving a change in terms of what people expect is possible. I call this sort of the, the TikTok and and social media appification of the business world. So that's interesting. You, you mentioned some mm-hmm. of the user experience and expectations. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because we're seeing a lot of change with organizations in terms of the move to hybrid work. Yes. And Clearly, you know, technology has been very important for that to even allow us to have hybrid work, to allow us to do things like we're doing today. I can I can see you. I can speak with you. I can record things. So all that's pretty cool. Um, but when we start to look at the hiring landscape, you know, how is the evolution of technology going to impact hybrid work moving forward as far as you see that in hiring landscape? Yeah, and, you know, obviously you know, by virtue of us having, uh, you know, been in and hopefully we're coming out of a, a pandemic. Uh, but but COVID has pushed a more rapid embrace of both hybrid you know, and remote work. And I, I want to be clear in terms of the distinction, you know, because with hybrid, you know, you're still talking about people being in the office you know, for some portion of the time. And so those people still have to be in, in a specific geographic area. You know, with fully remote, you, know, you take that geographic element out of it completely because those people essentially never need to come you know, into the office where they can travel, you know, once in a while, you know, to get to the office. Um, employees have really come to not only value, you know, that flexibility of being able to to work in a hybrid environment, but they've largely come to expect it. You know, so any employer not offering a you know hybrid work solution or remote work solution is going to be at a distinct disadvantage, you know, from competing firms that are willing to offer that flexibility, you know, to their employees. Uh, if there was a, a recent study from Stanford, 
you know, where a professor analyzed the, the value of that hybrid work option. And his assessment was that it's worth roughly 10 percent, you know, of compensation, you know, to the employees. You know, so that's significant, you know, in the eyes of the employees that you're trying to attract and retain at your firm. I absolutely agree with that. You know, one of the things that I've seen in my own personal life and in talking to a lot of people, I used to live in the Bay Area and the commute time alone people were getting back a significant amount of time in commute, but there's also a cost associated with that. You know, they had fuel costs, they had lunch costs, they had a lot of different things. So it turns out that it does equate to a certain, you could probably get a good dollar value percentage out of it. So that makes sense to me. And I've actually toyed with different terms. You know, sometimes instead of talking about hybrid work with people, I talk about distributed work because distributed work gets the notion of, you could be full-time remote, you could be full-time in the office, you could be a contract worker, you could be lots of different things. And I think that's kind of where we need to go with the concept that it's much more flexible. And maybe that leads me to my next question, which we now know that employees are seeking flexibility. So one of the things I've been curious about is in the past, we talked about this notion of gig workers, but uh, could contract or freelance work be a legitimate option for employers to consider during what seems to be a very uncertain labor market at the moment? Yeah. Um, not only do I think it's a viable option, you know, I, I think going forward, they're going to have to, you know, consider it uh, in order to get the, you know, the, the factor inputs of the labor, you know, that they need. Um, if you think about uh, the gig economy, you know, it has, you know, continued to, to grow. So a larger and larger percentage of our workforce is opting into, you know, this lifestyle. You know, so that's one factor. Um, also, you know, baby boomers are, you know, continuing to retire. And as they leave the workforce, you know, there are not enough younger workers, you know, to to replace them because the following generations are just, you know, smaller. And we've also seen that the birth rate, you know, continues to go down. So if you're an employer and you are confining yourself just to the, the permanent, you know, labor pool, you know, that's that may only be what, maybe two thirds at most of the overall labor pool. And, and you're going to have a challenging time, you know, not only finding the people that you need, but maintaining the flexibility, you know, that you need as well to actually scale up or scale down your workforce, you know, depending upon how the economy is doing overall or how your particular industry is performing. I think one of the things that is possibly very exciting is that there's talent that, for whatever reason, does not or cannot have a full-time, very rigid nine-to-five schedule. So we might have parents and caregivers that are perfectly capable of doing tremendous work, but just can't take a certain structure that has been what we've had in, in labor in the past. So I'm excited to see that we're, we're thinking of mixing it up in terms of how 
how we actually hire workers, um, how we think about when work needs to get done. So instead of thinking of it as has to be a certain number of hours, it's just what is the project and how do you get through the project? And I think with that kind of mentality, organizations can open themselves up to be much more flexible to any type of good candidate, regardless of where they live or what hours they want to work. Or um, in some cases, we can even get over some of the language barriers with some translation software and other things. So we're, we're living in very interesting and exciting times from that perspective. But as you're out talking to companies, are you seeing anything? Um, are you seeing them having any challenges or, or looking at the opportunities perhaps differently than they have in the past? Uh, we, we are seeing some challenges, right? Because you know, if, if you do have people who are, you know, really uh, given that hybrid, you know, or remote work option, um, you know, these people are now, you know, for a significant portion of the time, if not full time, they're working from their home office. Right? You know, the employer can no longer kind of walk past that person's desk, you know, during the day, you know, to see whether or not you know, they're, they're goofing off. You know, this person, you know, says that they are working, you know, 10 hours a day. They want to be paid for 10 hours, you know, but the three times that the supervisor attempted to call that person during business hours, you know, they weren't available, right? You know, if there are productivity tools and, and team tools that, you know, are being used and you can see whether a person is active or inactive, and for significant chunks of the day, you know, some people are just, you know, inactive. So it's it's a different environment from a managerial perspective, right? Some jobs can be done asynchronously. Other things need to be done synchronously, right? So how do you kind of, you know, maintain the, the proper level of engagement? And how do you maintain, you know, kind of coordination across a team, you know, in this new environment, you know, that we find find ourselves in, and how can you guarantee that employees aren't really working two or three jobs, you know, all of them remotely, <laughs> and, and picking up, for example, multiple, you know, paychecks. I actually had one client that said that they had hired somebody, and that person was working remotely, but they had actually even outsourced the job to someone else. So they weren't really working at all, and they were doing several jobs, and it kind of came back later that they figured it out. But And they were getting yes. paid a very fair wage for what they were delivering. So that was, um, yeah, there, there are some challenges around that. You know, one of the other things that I think could be an interesting opportunity is we've talked a lot about diversity and inclusion. How do we get there? When you look at what you're trying to accomplish at People Caddy, do you think that this type of technology can assist in helping us overcome some of those diversity challenges? Absolutely. You know, I think historically, uh, the, the focus during the hiring process you know, has been on you know someone's subjective assessment, you know, of a resume. You know, or a subjective assessment after a, you know, 30 minute or one hour long, you know, interview. Um, we we are pushing towards uh, a shift there, you know, towards a, towards a different paradigm where we want to focus, you know, more so on kind of objective performance ratings, 
you know, so for example, if you're a contractor that has used the People Caddy platform and your previous five employers, you know, all have glowing things to say about you, glowing ratings, you know, then we think, you know, that will shift the focus, you know, towards that objective performance and away from how that person, you know, looks, sounds even, right? Uh, so we, we do think we are moving in the right direction. Uh, we have had some resistance to uh, what I would call, you know, kind of blind hiring processes, you know, where within our platform, you know, we, we kind of present a, a LinkedIn type profile with all the matching scores, performance ratings, et cetera. You know, if a candidate chooses not, you know, to share a photo and another candidate does choose to share a photo, that the candidate has, that has chosen to share the photo has a much higher probability of being selected, right? And it's because they've kind of personalized themselves, they've humanized themselves in a in a, in a, in a deeper way, right? So we, we still see that disparity. Uh, but again, you know, as the number of ratings, you know, continue to, to grow, you know, they become more and more powerful. And research has shown that people trust ratings more than they trust, you know, personal referrals you know, or single you know, references. I think we have been, you know, in some ways, I think this is the holy grail because we really do need ways to demonstrate, not just that I like you from a personality standpoint, but to demonstrate that people can do certain jobs. And, you know, there's some educational platforms that allow you to take tests if it's a technical job that you're looking at. But if it's not a technical job that you're looking at where it can be tested, then I think that you need these types of ratings to improve candidates' choice of success and, you know, really show that um, it's a meritocracy. This person has certain skills. This is why that they were hired. And I think that that is going to be a real win for us as a society, but also for business owners to create a wider range of talent that can live in different places, um, that has the diversity to come up with new ideas that allow you to take your business to the next level. So I think there's a lot of great things that we could see happening there. Yeah. And there are a lot of biases that, you know, people bring to the table, both conscious and, and unconscious. You know, for example, if it is a, a slightly older worker, you know, there are some employers that just have a challenging time believing that that person is actually going to want to do the work, you know, versus supervising others, you know, to do the work. But again, if you have three past clients, you know, saying that, you know, Jane you know, did a, a wonderful job, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, then that decreases this leap of faith that the employer has to make about her, you know, being able to do that particular task. I think there's been so many interesting discussions, you know, particularly around age. It, it seems that um, there's a certain point where people feel that you fall off the cliff and you can no longer learn uh, new skills <laughs> or talents or that you are not technically savvy or there's a lot of other interesting unconscious bias that people bring to the table on that. So I'm happy to hear that we have some 
options as a as a slightly older person now of mitigating that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> likewise, likewise. One last thing I'd like to ask you before the bonus question is: there anything that excites you about the space right now that you're just you know makes you want to get up in the morning and say, "Yeah, this is great." Yeah, you know what we're really ultimately trying to do is to build um, kind of a deep and broad community of professional contractors and to to get these folks engaged and interacting with you know one another you know in in a, in a way that provides kind of enriching experiences you know for all and I think uh, one of the byproducts of that will be kind of having this vibrant, uh, you know, contingent labor marketplace where employers can come and easily tap into, you know, the labor that they need at, at any given point in time. And the, the technology makes it possible for us to, you know, in a cost-effective way, you know, scale up, you know, that type of solution, you know, where all parties in the value chain, you know, truly benefit. Uh, so we're very excited about the opportunities ahead of us. I am as well. So I usually like to close the podcast with what I call the bonus question of a 10-second recommendation. It could be a book, an activity, a place. What would you recommend to the audience? Uh, yeah, there is a book. Uh, the name of the author is uh, Donald Norman, and the book is The Design of Everyday Things. And, and I don't know if you've heard of that one before. Um, The title sounds familiar, but I don't believe I've read it. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love it. Yeah. And and it it really speaks to how um, effective design, you know, can lead human beings to interact with products, you know, in a very intuitive way. And, And oftentimes problems that people have, interacting with certain certain products are not because the person has made any mistakes, but more so because the design was not effective. That makes total sense. Tim, I want to thank you for your time and your insight today. And we look forward to seeing what you and People Caddy create for creating a new world of work, a better world of work. And once again, thank you. Thank you, Maribel. I appreciate the time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com to subscribe to the show and the newsletter. Until next time, wishing you all of the best in everything in life and in technology.